Welcome back to The Good Play, a podcast formerly about The Good Place on NBC, and now about, you know, whatever we feel like, for the time being anyway. My name is Brianna, and with me on the line, her son would never blow up a pool with sodium he got from his chemistry class. It's my sister, Marissa. He would be way too busy reading his comic books to come up with that idea. (laughs) I got him new comic books today. I had, like, ordered them from our local comic shop, and I, you know, I put a mask on, and I drove over, and I bought them, and I, I was in and out pretty quick. I came home, he's like playing video games. I was like, I got new comic books. He's like, "Uh uh-huh. And then I start like opening them and putting them on the couch. And then he's just like, puts the video game down. And he's just like engrossed in his My Little Pony. That's what he loves. He loves My Little Pony comic books. (laughs) He's a small brony. A boy after my own heart for loving comics. I'll tell you that right now. Mm -hmm. I know it's your, it's your medium. (laughs) Uh, In honor of Marissa's, well, we were going to say Marissa's birthday month, but... We couldn't get it together last week. The month rolls on. The month rolls on. You know, it's starting from my birthday. It hasn't been a month yet, technically. That is true. (laughs) So in the technical month since Marissa's birthday, (laughs) um, we are devoting some time to Marissa's favorite movie star husband, Chris Pine, with a theme we are calling Pining for Pine. Last time we watched, uh, what did we watch last Star, time? Star Trek. Star Trek, yes, which which you had all kinds of problems with. And I would of- I would watch it twenty times before I watched this movie again. Oh, uh, I agree with you. Uh, this because this week, get ready for some melodrama because we watched People Like Us, starring Michelle Pfeiffer, Elizabeth Banks, and of course Chris Pine. Never explained why that was the title of the movie. I just realized. No. Nope. <laughs> no, I realized that today, too. Um, before we get in on this recap, spoiler alert, we both hated this movie. Um, find us uh, a little bit of housekeeping. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and at goodplay.cast.rocks. Please rate us and review us on your podcast app of choice. You can also follow and like us on Facebook. We had a little bit of chatter in the Facebook group, uh, Ian suggested that we do um, Never Have I Ever, which is a Netflix show that I particularly loved. So I, I would love to do that. Twitter, uh, you can find us at the, Good Play, at the Good Play Pod. And you can send us an email at thegoodplaypod at gmail.com. And we do have a listener email Hooray! to check all at the end. Thank you so much. We love getting listener mail. Do we want to say anything up front about this movie? <laughs> oh, or This is supposed to be yeah. <laughs> the anxiety-free cruise, right? Yes. We yes. are supposed to be watching movies and television that allow us to forget that we are trapped in the middle of a global pandemic with... Uh, Incompetent leadership. <laughs> to say the least. Uh, who, I believe, they, they released their new messaging yesterday that is, quote, we all just have to live with this. Oh, cool, bro. <sighs> Some of us has to have to die with it, I guess. Yeah. That we are in, like, some sort of darkest timeline scenario. We're supposed to be picking things that help us not think about the fact <laughs> that we're in, like, the darkest timeline. This movie was such a slog. Good. Yeah. God, it was such a slog. I mean, Brianna knows this because I kept, like, pausing it and having to, like, get up and, like, walk away 
like grab some M and M's from the kitchen. My I got a phone call last night. Yes, at like nine forty five at night. That literally was just Marissa going, "What are what are you making me watch?" Here's the thing, listeners, dear listeners. This movie is billed. We picked this movie because I mean we had a whole conversation a few episodes ago about how Chris Pine typically in his filmography picks darker subjects or more serious subjects you know the the superhero movies kind of notwithstanding but like sorry the it's fourth of july it's fourth it's literally fourth of july today yeah literally fourth of july and the hooligans are back at it and also macy's (laughs) is also back at it (laughs) hooligans and macy's partnering for a better today (laughs) right now (laughs) um (laughs) so like you know, we were not going to watch I Am the Night, which is a series that he did recently about the Black Dahlia killing. Um, we're not going to watch um, the movie that he did about the Coast Guard rescue. We're not going to watch... The the biggest storm. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, we're not going to watch The Outlaw King, which is about freedom fighters in, in Scotland, right? Like, we're not going to watch those because we were like, this is the Anxiety Free Cruise. And so... Among the things that we could sort of pick from, and, you know, we thought about Wonder Woman, but I would say probably we're going to watch the second Wonder Woman for this podcast, so we might do, like, a back-to-back Wonder Woman. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Um, whenever it comes out, it's, like, a big question mark when they're actually going to really... They don't want to lose the theater uh, receipts for it, but, like, there's a huge question as to, like, when movie theaters can safely reopen, and, like... I'm sure that you are in agreement with me on this, that if DC opened, decided to open the movie next week, like we wouldn't go see it. Right. Unless there was a, like for me, if there were a drive-in movie theater that I could go to, like you don't have a car, so it's a little more complicated. A walk-up movie theater. A walk-up movie theater. Isn't that what all movie theaters are? <laughs> but like if I could go see like a drive-in movie and, a, and like a new release, I mean, I would do that in my, you know, and the drive-in movie theaters around me that are all sort of like, have sort of popped up, you know, just sort of higgledy-piggledy, like they're very strict, like you have to stay in your car with your windows up, right? So it wouldn't be any, but but I can't imagine DC actually releasing it that way. But but if they decided to put it in theaters, like you and I wouldn't go see it. We would have to wait for it to come out on, on demand. Right. So yeah, so... Uh... But all that is to say, we, you know, thought about Wonder Woman, but we're thinking of maybe doing this back-to-back thing whenever the second one comes out, just so we can refresh our memories. And so, really, you know, we were looking at our options, and this movie, People Like Us, is billed as, you know, marketed as sort of this, like, heartwarming tale about, like, finding your family, and you can surprise yourself, and, like you know, go on this adventure that you need to go on in order to figure out who you are. And, you know, on it, you know, you find your family in these unexpected places. Yes. That'd be great, actually. Right. That's, I mean, as you're describing, I'm like the, the score for this trailer is Salisbury. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what the movie actually turns out to be <sighs> is deception a a an anxiety fueled <laughs> slog through one man's continual mistakes and one family's 
lies and deception that span generations, literal <laughs> generations. Ah. And so what you end up, you know, how I ended up feeling was just frustrated and, 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 uh, deceived, deceived. And also very glad when it was over and I didn't, there was nothing heartwarming about it for me. But so all that is to say, like we picked this thinking it would be like a light romp, the way that Princess Diaries, or maybe Diaries just like a, too. like a, or like a good family drama, you know. And maybe there's some tears, but they're like cathartic tears, you know. Yeah, like a Shirley MacLaine joint. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm trying to think of like what would sort of be comparable to this, like in i in i in an ideal world or in reality. Yeah. Or in an ideal, like the idealized version of what this could have been. Uh, bogus. No. <laughs> that you has a supernatural actually, element. <laughs> you know what movie I thought actually, and we can get into this more in discussion, but the movie that I thought it was trying to emulate, but in a really terrible way, was Jerry Maguire. Oh, hmm. Because, I mean, that's, it's like almost 20 years after Jerry Maguire. Yeah. Uh, is it? Yeah, I mean, this is 2012, right? And Jerry yeah. Maguire was like 95, I want to say. Oh, yeah, you're right. Wow, that was a long time ago. Yeah, we're old. <laughs> oh, God. But Jerry Maguire has, like, the family element, and here's this, like, fast-talking businessman who all of a sudden, like, sees what it is to, like, have a family and, you know, kind of comes around or whatever. Like, I, I obviously, we're going to talk about how it's way different, and Jerry Maguire's a thousand times better, but... I don't know. It, it just, it could have been something way better than this. And I said to Marissa on the phone last night, I really would have loved to have seen the drafts that preceded the one that got made because I can't believe this was the final draft that they submitted. But shall we get into the recap? And yeah, I guess. We can kind of express our ire along the way or towards <laughs> the end. Um, right. So, so we get this like title card of like, ins- <laughs> Climbing up on Salisbury Hill. I can see what city light. Wind was blowing, time stood still. Damn it, Brianna. Eagle flew out of the night. Do, 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> the fireworks are like, shh, get to the recap. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So the, we get this title card that's like inspired by true events. And it's We're like, going to talk about that at the end. Okay. <laughs> So, okay, I really I really don't want to get I don't I don't no, want to no, get no. super bogged down in details me, here. So, basically either. the main character is Sam. He's played by Chris Pine. He is a dirtbag for a living. He he does this like barter market stuff where he gets people to, you know, barter their like real overstock. Yes, of. thank you. They're overstock and then he makes a commission on this whatever. What basically happens is that Chris Pine accidentally sent boxes full of tomato bisque in an unrefrigerated train car. Is that why you texted me tomato bisque last night? I didn't remember. Okay. Yes. Got it. Okay. I can't believe you didn't. I thought you knew what I was talking about. What If you just texted me like clam chowder, I'd be like, are you having an aphasia? <laughs> well, I was like, what? And you were like, this movie is tomato bisque. And I was like, what are you talking about? I, I said the movie's like, plot is tomato bisque. I couldn't. Yes, you're correct. Sorry, I will <sighs> stop So Chris Pine sends boxes of tomato bisque through Mexico City in an unrefrigerated 
uh, train car, uh, and they explode. I, I believe so. His bo- his boss is played by uh, Happy from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, John Favreau. Favreau, right? Really? Not the one who's political. This is the other right. one. He says it looks like the birthing suite at Bellevue. <laughs> So I was like, oh. Yikes. Every man in this movie is a dirtbag. I want to oh, just preface straight that. up. Yeah. Straight up dirtbag. So basically, Happy's like, in order to prevent some client from reporting this to the Federal Trade Commission, you have to do all these, like, barter deals under the table. And I'm taking your commission, you know, to pay for all these, like, dirty deals. Like, basically, to buy off the person who was going to report it to the FTC. So Sam starts sort of making these frantic phone calls of like, I need lumber because I need to build like this addition to the house for this dirt bag guy who's going to report me to the FTC if I don't. He like comes home to his long suffering girlfriend, oh Olivia my. Wilde. We got to talk about Olivia Wilde. This poor, this poor girl. <laughs> and she's like cooking and he's like, why are you cooking? And she's like, we couldn't get through to your phone all day. Like your dad died. And she goes to hug him and you just see on his face that he's like, Ugh, whatever. Yeah, he's like, what's for dinner? He doesn't care. No. Yeah. So they get to uh, the airport and he's like, oh, no, I don't have my ID. And Olivia Wilde is like on the phone with, you know, airport airline customer service, just being like, please be a human being. We have to get to a funeral. And it turns out like uh, Sam was hiding his ID, but she finds it without realizing that he had hidden it. She finds it. She's like, oh, it's your ID. We can go. And he's like. Oh, great. So they do get, they get on this late flight to LA where his mom, you know, where the funeral's happening, where his mom lives, where his father had lived, but they don't make it in time for the funeral, which uh, Michelle Pfeiffer is super mad about. Understandably so. Understandably. Yeah. I mean, it's a little weird. There aren't a lot of religious traditions where you have to have the funeral that fast. You know what I mean? Like generally speaking, uh, so, so we're Jews and we know that you got to get that body in the ground. Like, oh, okay. snap, 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 right? <laughs> it's just a thing for us. But for most... Jew secrets. For <laughs> Jew those secrets. <laughs> but for most other religions, it's totally fine to just like, you know, keep a body around for a while until everybody can actually make it out for the funeral. So it's a little weird to me that, because they were Catholic, I want to say. Does that Did sound they right? they say? Oh, they're like indeterminately Christian. Yeah. So... Sam and Olivia Wilde get to Michelle Pfeiffer's house. Does Michelle Pfeiffer ever get a name? Lillian. Lillian, that's right. And she meets the girlfriend for the first time and she likes her, you know, uh, Olivia Wilde's like about to go to law school or whatever. And she's like, how long are you staying? And they're like, and (laughs) Sam's like, we're leaving tomorrow. Uh, You know, my girlfriend has to go to a law school interview. And the girlfriend's like, (sighs) he's using her as an excuse. And like later she confronts him. It's a lie. It's a lie. Yeah. She confronts him about it. She's like, my law school interview is next week. And he's like, yeah, just uh, grumbledy mumbledy. I'm a dirtbag dude in this movie. (laughs) He's the worst. He's so, Okay. So Sam goes up to his father's office and, okay, his dad was this big time music producer and he's just like futzing around with the stuff. And Hannah, the girlfriend, comes in and is like, didn't you have any good memories of your dad? He's like, I have one good memory, which is that he drove me to the park every Sunday and he wouldn't get out of the car because he was too busy listening to his demos. And I will tell you, listener, I'm not like very good at like foreshadowing, but I was like, this is foreshadowing. <laughs> Like, this is Sundays in the Park thing was, like, a thing that was going to come back later. 
even though I'm not very, I'm just saying the screenwriting's not very good. <laughs> because if if something sticks out like a sore thumb like that, you're like, hmm, put a pin in that. So Sam meets with his dad's attorney. So Sam is like, okay, like, what what money did my dad leave me? And he's like, uh, well, your dad left you the record collection. He's like, okay, but what about money? And the guy's like, I mean, you could sell the records. And Sam's like, ugh, ugh. And then the lawyer gives him like a, a shaving, like a monogram shaving kit is like, I also like, I haven't opened this, but your dad gave it to me to give to you to take care of. So he opens it up. He sees all of these like, hundred dollar bills like rolls and rolls of hundred dollar bills and then a note that says please get this to josh davis uh take care of them you know signed jay because his name was jerry yeah there's an there's an address yeah then we get this scene of i mean it's pretty obvious that this is we, they call him josh there's a boy named josh he looks like he's like how old is he? he's like 10 i thought he was 11 older, but you know yeah oh i don't something like that let's say he's like 11 so we see Josh and he has stolen sodium from the science lab and thrown it into the swimming pool and then it explodes as happens with sodium. <laughs> it's a nice little exothermic reaction there. And his poor beleaguered single mom. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Elizabeth Banks is just like, I mean, you just want to give this woman a hug like this whole movie. She comes to the school. The principal's ready to expel Josh. And Elizabeth Banks kind of turns it around like... Huh, you just left out this sodium for my kid to, like, pick up. And what other explosives do you leave lying around? Like, somebody might want to get a lawyer. And then she, you know, Josh is allowed to... That little hooligan is allowed to stay in his school. Spoiler alert, he's a problem. Oh my god, this kid sooks. He sooks. (laughs) I was drinking my water and I just (laughs) spat it all over myself. where Sam is legit creeping on these people. You know, so Elizabeth Banks, her character's name is Frankie, short for Francis. And, and so Frankie and Josh go to their apartment and Sam is like creeping around like a freaking ninja. Just right, like because he has the address from his dad and he goes to the apartment complex that his dad has put in the note. And it is he happens to get there at the same time, of course, because it's a movie. He happens to get there at the same time when Frankie and Josh are coming home from this meeting with the principal. And Frankie is like, you know, you're in a lot of trouble. And like, how am I supposed to pay for the pool? And what am I supposed to do? And you have to go to a counselor now. And the kid is just the literal worst he child. He is so awful. He, he doesn't so have... Awful. I would say that even his redeeming moment is not that actually redeeming. I don't think he has one redeeming quality, actually. Yeah, no, he's terrible. So Frankie gets home. She gets a phone call. She, like, runs downstairs to her neighbor and is like, let me see your newspaper. Okay, I, can you watch my kid for an hour? I gotta go. And and it's it's Mark Duplass. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, it's fine. It's cool, whatever. So Frankie, like, runs to her car and drives somewhere and Sam tails her in the car, which is great. She gets up to share. She says, you know, I'm Frankie. I'm an alcoholic. And uh, my sponsor just called me to tell me that my dad died. And here's his obituary in the paper. And, you know, I don't exist. I'm not listed, you know, and it's obviously it's Sam's father's obituary. 
So Sam is like, dun, 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 she's my sister. Like, now it makes sense, right, why his father wrote her, wrote him this note to take care of, you know, Frankie and Josh, because Josh is the father's grandson. Right. So Sam goes back to his mom's house. He tells Hannah about the whole thing. And Hannah's like, you know, I really need this money. Like, I'm in so much debt. And Hannah's like, we're in debt. He's like, there is no we. What are you talking about we? And it's just like, oh, my God. It's just the most antisocial, awful. Ugh. He's he like the way I described it in my notes is like he throws a bunch of red flags at her. He's like, I'm in debt and I really need this money. And this woman is my sister, but I'm not going to tell her. And my dad left me this money and I had this terrible relationship with my dad. And I'm going to keep the money because I need it. And I'm in trouble with the Federal Trade Commission and <laughs> right, I forgot about that. all this stuff. And she's like. She's like, things are being thrown at her like faster than she can process. And she's like, when were you going to tell me that we're in debt? And she, and he says, there is no we. And she's like, oh my God, like you're a terrible person. And so she justifiably leaves. Yes. That's the smartest thing she does all movie. Yeah. Uh, And I was like, good for you, Olivia. But Olivia Wilde also in this, in this conversation is like, you need to tell this woman about, like you know that she's your sister like you you need to do this for her and he's like uh i don't owe her anything blah 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 blah. i kind of want to skip over the next hour of this movie i i can summarize it pretty handily right like okay sam insinuates himself into the lives of these two people and lies about who he is and and why he's in their life by pretending that he is also a recovering alcoholic yes so he basically hits it off with Frankie at the AA meeting that he tailed her to go to. He creeps on Josh at school, you know, drives him around in his car without his mom's permission, which is not okay. Yeah. He start, you know, he just manages, he kind of reaches his tentacles into their lives, you know, and Frankie, you know, is kind of getting attached to him and Josh is definitely getting attached to him. And it's just, like, more and more, like, he, you know, he drives them around. He takes them out on an outing. He he goes and buys groceries for them. You know, all this stuff. I do want to sort of, I guess, insert some stuff about Sam and his mom. Yeah, I mean, so before you get there, I think the one, the thing that's sort of of note in all these interactions with Frankie and Sam is that Frankie, you know, is a bartender. She's like, a, you know, she's like Sam Malone. She's like a dry drunk who works at a bar. And <laughs> she sort of believes at the beginning that he's there to hit on her. And he says, no, 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 I'll never do that. And honestly, know, if he had pretended to be gay, I would be less offended by this movie, I think, weirdly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, woof. But you can... She's getting more and more attached to him because she doesn't have very many good things going on in her life, right? She's got this kid who is a nightmare. No, my God. He is a straight up He calls her. He doesn't call her Frankie. He doesn't call her mom. Doesn't call her mama. He calls her Carol, which is the name of the woman who, like, runs their apartment complex and is kind of a troglodyte. It's like, what is the matter with this child? Yeah, he, he, like, goes out of his way to be awful to his mom. And 
you know, I was not the sunniest teenager, but holy moly. Um, but at the same time, um, so, you know, he keeps saying like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm not going to hit on you, but he doesn't give her any information, but he presses her constantly and consistently for information about her life and her life growing up and her relationship with her father. It right. Com- it, it basically in every interaction at every point, there is some conversation where she talks about her lack of relationship with her father and the fact that her father kind of split when she was eight years old. And are they supposed to be the same age? They're, they're supposed to, So I read the synopsis. They're supposed to be around the same age. Like she's supposed to be 30. He's supposed to be like late twenties. Um, oh, she's older than he is. That's what the synopsis said. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Some right. For me raises some questions for me but maybe i read it wrong i I can double check i mean um elizabeth banks is older than chris pine in real life oh really sure okay i didn't know that but all so all this is to say like i don't want to dwell on it but i think it's worth noting that like he's not just like casually getting to it's like he he has an like multiple ulterior motives around like he still has the money with him And he has this sort of, like, fascination with her relationship to their shared father. But he's not being honest about where he's coming from. No, she knows nothing about him. Yeah. And whenever she presses him, he says, like, oh, I gotta go. Right? And so, yeah. Anyway. So, in between... So, it's basically... It's it's a very long... It's a very long... It's like a two-hour long movie. And the bulk of it is these, like, scenes of him kind of cozying up to these people without telling them who he is. Yeah. Which just made me more... Like, every scene made me more and more anxious. Keep in mind, she's, like, a single mom trying to raise a kid. Like, struggling. She yeah. is struggling. Her kid is a nightmare. Her job... She's an alcoholic working in a bar, and she doesn't make very much money, and she's constantly away from her kid who really needs her. Like, and I'm not trying to, like, lay a guilt trip on a fictional character, but, like... She needs to be home for this child who is deeply troubled. <laughs> like, yeah. she should not be out, like, working while he's at home because, like, he can't handle it. He's a bad seed. <laughs> yeah. You know, but that's what she has to do to survive. So that's what she's doing, right? So it's like, she's got this very, very rough existence. Yeah. Uh, and Chris Pine is just insinuating himself. And like, look, he looks like Chris Pine. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. This is what <laughs> I was going to bring up. There, there comes a point later in the movie where this is like really, I think, like worth worth pointing out. But he looks like Chris Pine. He's a he is too attractive for real life. Like, if I yes. met him in real life, I'd be like, you are. It would be like a Medusa situation. You would fall over and you'd be made of stone. Yeah. I'd be like, you're a, you're a rogue AI sent to (laughs) destroy my (laughs) will to live because I'm never going to, you know, um, achieve your level of perfection. And so I think that also has something to do with it. Like, and also, and like Elizabeth Banks is also no slouch. She is very, very beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she looks like a real person yes. in a way that Chris Pine doesn't. No, he definitely doesn't. Yeah. So. But yeah, we get we get this info dump about you know how Frankie you know got to see her dad every Sunday until she was 
eight. Yeah. And then he stopped coming and she like went and found him once when she was 15, uh, like went to go like find him at his record studio and he totally blew her off. I mean, just in a really, you know, D-bag kind of way. I mean, he's just, he sounded like such a, all these words I want to say that we don't say on this podcast. Yeah. I mean, like I said at the beginning, no, every man in this movie is sort of a dirt bag and really irredeemable. And I, one of the, th- and we can talk about this in the discussion, but one of the things I was waiting for was the redemption arc of the father. Mm. And it never came. It kind that's what the final scene is supposed to be. Right. But, whew. but it, that's the worst redemption story I've ever heard in my life. And we'll get to it. But, you know, he really does seem like, very self-obsessed, very focused on his work and focused on the trappings that come with his work and not really a family man, right? And a, kind of a difficult guy to live with. Yeah, for sure. So at some point, Sam just takes the 150 k and gives it back to the lawyer and is like, I am <laughs> not the person to... D- we don't see this on screen, but I'm inferring that he says something like, I can't deal with this, you deal with it. So... Sam is hanging out with Josh when Frankie comes home and is like, oh, I got this call from this lawyer about how my dad left me 150K. And Sam is like super pressury, like, you have to take the money, you have to take the money. And Frankie's like, I don't want my dead dad's like, sorry, I abandoned you money or whatever. He's like, you have to take it, you have to take it. And she's like, what is your deal? And he's like, I gotta go by. <laughs> I mean, that's the moment to tell her, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And he doesn't. He doesn't. He runs. He goes home. His mom has fallen. He sort of picks her up and then goes and finds her medical information, you know, in a file somewhere and calls or calls a doctor or whatever. Turns out she has this heart condition and that she's not treating. And he's like, why aren't you treating? And she's like, I've had enough doctors for a lifetime. Which, like, what? I, maybe I guess she's talking about her husband's doctors. Yeah, so one thing that we skipped um, in the middle here is that he and his mom have like a they get stoned and they like go out for a walk together. We can say get stoned on this podcast, right? Sure, 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 okay, sure, sure, sure. So, so they get stoned. Bortles. And, and they go out for a, that's right. And they go out for a walk together. And, you know, Lillian tells this story about how he, she met the dad, his dad when she was 17, which is kind of icky, Ooh. but it, it was the seventies. <laughs> and that he kind of, he was like this really magnetic presence and, she really wanted to be a music. She wanted to be Joni a, Mitchell. She a, wanted to be Joni Mitchell. Yeah, she wanted to be a singer. And he kind of had her get up in front of all of his music producer and, and, and artist friends and sing. And she sort of realized she wasn't that good. And everybody kind of looked at her differently after that. And, you know, but she kind of is like, well, you know, that's your father. Who knows what he was thinking, blah, blah, blah. And Sam is like, look, he humiliated you. That's not a good, like you know, why are you defending him? And, and Sam knows about this secret family and the tension in this conversation is you don't really know the man you're, you were married to. And she's like, you don't think I knew my husband? And then kind of like goes back to the house along the way saying, you know, you never came home and you were such a difficult kid and you left and we hadn't seen you. And he was sick for a year you know, his death wasn't sudden, I guess. It was just right. like he'd had cancer for a long time and he just, you know, finally lost his battle with it. So, you know, 
Yeah, I think when she says, I've had enough doctors for a lifetime, I think she is talking about her husband. And I, the one moment that I really... She is also not a sympathetic character, but the one... No, moment, she's not. She's really not. But the one moment I felt for her is like, oh, you know, like, you didn't come to the funeral. And he's like, yeah, sorry about that. Whatever. He tries to blow her off. And she's like, you also didn't show up when I was, like, changing your father's colostomy bag every two weeks. And... Uh, every, excuse me, every two days. Every two days. Sorry. Yeah, I guess two weeks. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It's every two hours, I actually think is what she said. Oh, really? Yeah, which that doesn't totally... That's fine. But, but it is this sort of, like, Sam has just abandoned, like, you know, abandoned his responsibilities and... I, she's lashing out at him because, like, he's just... You know, the theme with this character is when something gets rough, you run away, right? You ran away from your family. He's running away from this current situation with Elizabeth Banks. He run, he sort of pushed away his girlfriend, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. So he's really pushy about the money. And Elizabeth Banks says, like, why are you pushing this so hard? And he's like, oh, I gotta go. And then he leaves. And then he finds his mom on the floor. Right. So... When they are sort of having this fight about, you know, Sam saying, you know, you need to get your heart condition treated, there so that just sparks a fight. And in the course of the fight, he springs on her like, oh, BT dubs, like, I've been hanging out with this woman who is my sister. And he can immediately tell that this is not new information <laughs> to her. And he's like, you knew about this. This is you- so rough. This is so rough. Yes. And he said, and, you know, and, and Michelle Pfeiffer says, you know, your father's responsibility, you know, was to, was to us, not to them. And, uh, you know, and he made his choice. And Sam is like, yeah, he, he didn't really make his choice because he's been hoarding money and he left her $150,000 and his mom kicks him out of the house, <laughs> which, Rough you know, stuff like. Uh, there's so many things wrong with this. I mean, maybe number one being like, you can't punish your son for what your dill hole of a husband did. (laughs) Like, it's not, it's not the son's fault that that's what the father did. And also, if you're gonna level the criticism against your son, like, oh, that's right, run away whenever something gets (laughs) difficult. And then the minute he says to you, like, look, I'm ready to talk about something really difficult. Dad had a second family. You're like... It was really nice seeing you. I hope we can do this again sometime. Slam the door in your face. Like, okay, then you're not exactly being... On the up and up. Exactly. Like, you're not acting in good faith here. So Sam's kind of getting ready to head back to New York, even though he doesn't have a job anymore and the FTC is after him. Which is like an under... Yeah, that's the other thing. Explored aspect of this film. (laughs) Yeah. He keeps getting angry messages from people at the Federal Trade Commission. And it's just sort of written off, you know, like a character quirk. So Sam's going to go back to New York, question mark. And then, like, as he's at the airport, Frankie calls him, like, freaking out. Like, you know, Josh got in this fight at school. I'm trying to remember, you know, some kids were picking on him or whatever. No, he was in class and a couple, so, like... The kids who were with him during the sodium incident. Right. Sodium. So he didn't rat them out. He didn't rat them out, but they've been, like, antagonizing him ever since. And they kind of, like, all they do in class is, like, shoot him a look that's like, hey, 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 hey. And he takes a textbook 
and clocks a kid in the face with a textbook and breaks his nose. Which is... Uh, yeah. Which is... A um, situation unto itself. Yeah, I mean, I think you can't diagnose sociopathy in children. He's but... not a sociopath. He's just, like, very troubled and yeah. really needs something that is not, like, a normal public school yeah, situation, he, he right? Yeah, he needs some serious intervention. Yeah. So Frankie calls Sam, like, freaking out, like, this has happened, and Sam's like, I'm at the airport, and Frankie's like, oh, right. You were always going to leave us. Okay, bye. But when she gets there, Sam is already with Josh, and I guess Sam has kind of been just sitting there waiting for her. By the way, at a public school in Los Angeles, they would never allow that to happen. Are you this child's guardian? No, I'm just a guy. He knows. (laughs) I mean, maybe if he's not leaving with him, I don't know. I don't know. It seemed weird to me. It was weird. So, you know, the principal's like, well, I convinced the other kids' parents not to press charges, but like, you're done here. And Frankie's like, yeah. And Josh actually is apologetic for once. Like, he seems remorseful for once in his life, I guess probably because Sam is there. And so some of his emotional defenses have been brought down by the fact that like this guy that he actually likes and sort of sees as like a I guess a father-ish kind of figure you know has come back after we skipped over but like Sam was a huge jerk to him as he was like leaving for New York and so (sighs) this part this part is really hard Uh, so (laughs) they go back to the apartment I just I want to just how long into the movie do you think we are at this point like it's like an hour 30 yeah and it's a two hour long movie it's a two hour long movie it's two yeah it's it's just it's scotch under two we're three fourths of the way through the movie peeps fam listen close (laughs) he has not told this woman they are related yep so Sam goes back to their apartment with them. You know, they put Josh in bed and he like gives him like this advice his dad had given him, which I almost thought at this point, like, didn't the father ever tell this to Frankie? Is, is she going to realize at That's this what point? I thought. Thank you. That like, she's going to hear these rules and be like, oh my God, like that, those are my father's rules. Like, how do you know my father's rules? Like, no, that would make too much sense. So that would be, that's, um... The lie that they tell in that Robert Downey Jr. movie that we love <laughs> about the the Hugabug song. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. Uh, uh, body and souls. Is that what it's called? Heart and souls. Heart and souls. That's such a great movie. <laughs> it was fantastic. Why is this movie, people like us, available for rental on Amazon, but Heart and Souls we had to watch bootleg on YouTube? <laughs> shame there's no justice in this world so frankie's like sam stay and he she kind of goes in for a kiss and i was like and he rebuffs her yeah (laughs) of course he like fends her off thank god and (laughs) she's like no stay like i know whatever you're going through like you're addicted or whatever it's fine like we'll get through it together whatever it is and he's like the way he tells her is weird i couldn't i didn't i was too lazy to turn on the captions but it was some really weird way. She's like, it's like you are me. And he's like, I kind of am or something like that. Yeah. And then he, uh, what, I, they, they're just mumbling their lines at this point. But basically he reveals to her that he's, you know, her brother. And she loses it. She hulks out. It's actually great. <laughs> it's, oh, I don't know. I mean, I, no, I don't think that's a good idea. You have a child in the house. It's terribly upsetting to that child. 
I mean, I'm just thinking of Josh in his bed hearing she's like punching him and like throwing uh lamps. And I mean, it is like chaos. I'm just imagining like her kid in bed, like because for all he knows, like it, Occam's razor is that Chris Pine is beating up his mother, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, and I'm sure. Look, Frankie does not seem to have great taste in men, and it probably would not be the first time that he had heard violence against his mother. And I was just like, this is a bad. Bad. I mean, she should have just been like, get the hell out right now, right? Yeah. Like, and not done this, but she did it. I think I wanted to do that to Chris Pine. And so <laughs> I was like, yeah, all right. So Sam goes back to his mom's house and she lets him in because he has a slightly bruised cheekbone. <laughs> he looks somewhat remorseful. Somewhat. Frankie goes to the law office. Uh, Sam calls Hannah and says, you know, you know, my mom's going to surgery and also one more thing. And then it cuts off and Hannah, and Hannah shows up and she's like, what's the one more thing? And he's like, this kid broke my heart. (laughs) Poor Olivia Wilde. Why? He's just like, I'm just sorry. I love you. And she's like, oh, I knew it. I knew. Oh, and he says, you know, I gave them the money. She's like, I knew you would. No, you didn't. He literally said, I'm not going to give them the money. <laughs> she like saw that there was a decent guy underneath 20,000 layers of yeah, okay. dill weed. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, his after Sam's mom goes back, you know, and, and also Hannah establishes, she's like, you're not coming back to New York. He's like, no. Uh, and, and it turns out she got into UCLA. So I guess that's where, and he's like, you know, it's a good thing you're going to law school because I need a lawyer because the FTC is, like, trying to arrest me or whatever. Like, oh yeah, that is never resolved. It is never resolved. What a red flag this man is. What a red... I mean, and and one of the things that Frankie says to him, we'll, we'll get there in a bit, but, like, one of the things that Frankie says to him is, like, you lied about being in recovery. Like, that's sacred. You don't do that. And, like, he li- so he lies about everything. He is, like, has this terrible familial relationship with his mom he has all these unresolved issues with his father he has this he's lying to this woman this poor woman who he barely knows his dad leaves one hundred and fifty thousand dollars and his for you know for somebody else and the first thing he thinks of is himself like oh i'm in debt i could really use this and i'm in debt because i need to bribe the federal trade commission and <laughs> olivia wilde at the end of indirectly it is still, yeah is still like yeah, this is the man I want to be with. Like, you have a good heart. Like, no, no, Olivia Wilde, go to NYU and meet your hu- your real-life husband, Jason Sudeikis. And then... <gasps> they're really married? They're really married. The last thing I will say about Olivia Wilde is go to NYU, meet your real-life husband, Jason Sudeikis, and then, like, when was this movie? 2012? Yeah. Five to six years later, meet Brianna Collins in an elevator. And watch as <gasps> she is too starstruck to say anything to you, but she thinks you're totally beautiful because I saw her in an elevator once. Breaking news: Olivia Wilde is beautiful. You heard it here first, folks. I know I'm the first person to ever say it, but she is striking. Is a good play exclusive. They don't want you to know Olivia Wilde is. Very good looking. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah, she should leave him. Yes, she should leave him. He has done nothing to earn her. Nope. So Lillian gets out of her procedure and Chris Pine is kind of taking care of her and 
she says to him, you know, like, I made him choose. She sort of had made it out before, like, he made the choice on his own. But she's like, I forced him to choose, you know, and he chose us. Yeah, I thought that was pretty transparent. I thought so, too. (laughs) And, you know, they actually have, like, a... I thought, like, a genuinely kind of nice mother-son conversation here. Where he's just sort of like, you know, she said, I needed him to focus on the only good thing I ever made, which is you. And, like, I needed him to actually focus on his son. And he just sort of says, like, I don't think you and I are ever going to see eye to eye on this. But, like, that's fine. You know, like, you know, you you did what you did. And that's, you know, that's it's it's been a long time, right? Yeah. And she gives him an old movie reel. Although this this movie is in 2012 and Chris Pine is supposed to be in his late 20s so I don't know why this looks like it's Wonder Years footage from the 60s what would you do if I sang out of two would Would you stand stand up and and walk out out of me (laughs) thank you so Sam watches this old movie reel and something about it shocks him and I instantly was like this is a thing having to do with these Sundays at the park like it's just so super obvious but whatever He tries to go to Frankie's apartment, but she's somehow gone already. Like, record time she has taken this 150k and, like, bought a house in Los Angeles. How is that possible? (laughs) How is that possible? She's also enrolled in school. Yeah, so there's there's a conversation they have at a laundromat where she says that she had an interest in landscape architecture, but, like she was never able to, like, fulfill her dreams because, you know, she has a really bad life, basically. And so we see her in, like, the first day of class for, like, landscape architecture school. Which, ha- okay. It's the middle of the public school school year, but she's (laughs) fine, whatever. Maybe she's taking it at, like, the learning annex. (laughs) (laughs) So somehow Josh- Goes to the phone book and finds his dead grandfather's address. This is inexplicable to me. Completely. Like, how does he know his name? How does he know that Sam is his uncle? Like, did his mom actually explain the whole thing to him? I guess that's what happened off screen, right? Otherwise, like, how? Yeah, we know. They have a a different last name. Davis, right? I want to say it must must be her mom's last name. Yeah. So, uh, basically, Josh gets on the bus... And on, like, L.A. public transit, that famously amazing public transit system, and goes to his dead grandfather's house and meets Lillian, who, like, figures out who he is. And he says, I, you know, is Sam here? And she, she's like, no, <laughs> he's out. He says, can I leave a note? And he leaves a note with his new address. So then Sam drives up to their new house and Frankie kind of has a, a crap fit about it, but... Yeah, I mean, there's a more economical way to do this, which is just that Josh texts Sam, right? I guess we wanted the quote-unquote redemption arc for Lillian, where she doesn't mislead a child. Lord. (laughs) Right? Because, like, she gets her quote-unquote redemption arc by not deliberately being like, oh, Sam died. (laughs) (laughs) Sam has never, I don't know a Sam, goodbye. Right? So, you know, Frankie is super uninterested in listening to Sam, but Sam is like, just listen, like, it's a miracle. We met and only the two of us know what it was like to grow up with him as a father, which fair. I mean, (laughs) 
That can be a real that can be a real sense of comfort for siblings, I think. Yeah, I mean we we talk about that sometimes, but <laughs> fair, but it's also like in her case, not entirely true. Right. She got him once a week for the first eight years of her life, and that's all. And so, you know, she has tons of issues around abandonment and you know, doesn't really know what it's like to have her father there for any of her life milestones. And, you know, really had, seemed like she had a really lovely relationship with her own mom, right? She's never, you know, she says, like, my mom was wonderful and she passed away a couple years ago and she never said a bad word about my father. But, like, you know, eh. yes, you're the only two who know what it's like to have him as a father, but the whole point of this movie is that he wasn't a father to her and he wasn't much of a father to him, even though he was around. Right. Because the whole conversation with Lillian at the end, uh, like right before this with Sam is that like Sam figures out, Oh, the reason why the two of you were like so prickly around me all the time and why you avoided me so much is because the guilt you felt for making dad choose between us and this other family and so every time you looked at me you saw that choice and every time dad looked at me he saw that choice and so to come out of this now and say we're the only two people who know what it's like to have him as a father is a kind of a weird gambit i get i mean i i saw a little bit of truth to it but it they certainly had very different experiences yeah but, you know, he's like, you know, he cared about you and here's the note that he left to me that says take care of them. And then he shows her the home movie that, he, you know, is the thing that he saw, you know, 10 minutes ago in the movie and shocked him or whatever. So it turns out. Ugh. Yeah. So it turns out that uh, all those Sundays when he drove his kid to the park and made him go play by himself in the park and he sat, quote-unquote, listening to his demos, what he was actually doing was filming his daughter from afar because this was the park where he used to take her on a picnic every Sunday. I was about to say something about weather and then I was like, oh, it's L.A. Actually, you could go for a picnic every Sunday of the year. You really could. So there's this, like... Super 8 footage, basically, of, you know, you see baby, well, they're like eight. So like, I guess this is right after he stopped, you know, having a relationship with his daughter. So like, they're both, Chris Pine's baby character and Elizabeth Banks' baby character are both about eight. And you see her sitting at a picnic table with her mom and you see, you know, baby Sam kind of playing by himself. And then they like get on like a play, uh, they get on like a jungle gym and they're like playing together. And like, that's the final image of the movie is like this very, like, like again, very like wonder yearsy kind of like, you know, all these like places where the footage kind of cuts out or is like replaced by just like, you know, white. Yeah. And Elizabeth Banks and, and Chris Pine just standing there like staring at, the you know the beam of light between them projecting the the film and they're both like getting teary and like that's the end of the movie <laughs> that's it i i mean i'll say like there were some places where i thought the cinematography was good in including that final scene you know where they have that beam of light between them i thought that was sort of artfully shot there were some places in where Chris Pine is sort of ransacking his dad's office where it also yeah. seemed artfully shot to me. Yeah. There were places where I was like, 
I mean, everybody is working as hard as they can on this, right? Nobody didn't show up to work, you know, like... All that... I have no problem with any of the acting. Right. They did the best with what they were given. Yes. The problem is the screenplay. Oh, 100%. The problem's the story. And I also think that this is... I mean, 2012, I'd have to go, like, look at IMDb and, like, look at kind of where these actors were in their trajectories but like you know this feels like a movie that you take because you think it's gonna be like a break for you and then it i uh this this i rented this on google play and it was it had like a 50 percent fresh rating like it was it is not it was i don't think it was a i didn't look up any reviews but i don't think this was a critical darling i never heard of it and I was like fully cognizant of the world of movies in 2012. It was in fact the last time I was fully cognizant because it was <laughs> right. when my child was born. That was the year Cloud Atlas came out. I know that because that was the last movie I saw in theaters before I became a mother. Wow. Um, I liked Cloud Atlas. Yeah, I've never seen it. I just thought it was kind of unintelligible. Yeah, I mean, this movie, yeah, the problem is the story. The problem is the story. The problem is... You know, and it was, and the problem is also it's marketed very, very differently as we set up top. Oh yeah, it's like a touching family, you know, whatever. It's like, no, what? I'll just look this up on Rotten Tomatoes actually, because now I'm curious. 53% fresh. (laughs) It's not good. (laughs) Not good. (laughs) Uh, One of these reviews is just, nothing like us would have been more accurate. (laughs) Or nobody likes us, <laughs> maybe it's even yeah. better. Yeah, uh, the t- the title is never explained. An insignificant film without personality. <laughs> this one, uh, Sean Burns of Philadelphia Weekly says, this all could have been resolved with a single conversation. He's correct. <laughs> He's correct. That is like my least favorite genre of movie, television show. Like my like my least favorite kind of plot is. If everybody took five minutes to brief everybody else on the things that they know, then there would be no tension. And it's such an odd thing that a movie with this plot that you could say that about because it's like there is inherent tension here. Like, why did they feel the need to make the tension of the movie the fact that Chris Pine won't tell her? The tension could be that he tells her quite early on and she's like legitimate. Well, I don't know if it's legitimately angry at him. He didn't do anything. Right. Right. But that Frankie is too like angry and upset to allow Sam to have access to Josh to, you know, let Sam sort of be the brother and uncle. Maybe that in this version of the screenplay, he really wants to be, you know, and that she has to come to terms with like the sins of the father actually do not become the sins of the child. Yeah. Like, like there is a lot of inherent, or like, you know, and there's also like maybe a lot to be said about Lillian and her role in, you know, she definitely is not blameless. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, yeah. Or there's a lot of inherent tension in this story. And instead of actually investing in any of it, they put all of their chips on. What if Sam just won't tell her for 90 minutes? (laughs) Right. And also, I think there's tension in the, you know, she finds out about this and she has to have a real, like, moment. You know, this is slightly investigated in the movie, but I think it's it's brushed over really quickly of does she take the money, right? Because she has this, her initial reaction is, 
I don't want my dead dad's bride money that he socked away from me because, like, he couldn't be bothered to actually spend any time with me. Like, you know, maybe, maybe there is some tension in, like, well, you know, maybe Sam is hoping that she doesn't want the money because maybe he needs it for, I mean, he does, he needs it for something, but I would say. He needs to hire a lawyer. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and I think that's part of, part of my problem is that, like, Sam doesn't have any redeeming qualities. His mom has, like, maybe one. The the grandson doesn't have any redeeming qualities. Oh, at, he's the worst. I mean, and you know, I love kids. Yeah. I always want... I, I have nothing against this child actor. Let, let me be clear. This kid was acting great. He, he did was, a great job. The actor did a great job. He was a terrible character to play. But the character is the worst. I mean, he is verbally abusive he is withdrawn and mean and uh, underachieving and and misogynistic. Yeah, yeah. He ch- like there's this. Uh, he's so he's twelve. I want to say eleven, twelve. We already had this conversation. We'll <laughs> say he's eleven or twelve. And there's this girl in his apartment complex who, who's his babysitter. Oh, is oh my god! And she's yeah. like seventeen, and he says really gross, objectifying things about her. Yeah, like oh my god. Yeah, I mean, so, uh, uh, and I think a few of the, if I were, I mean, we've, we've done script doctoring in the past, and I think the biggest script doctor here is tell her earlier and have exactly what you're talking about, have the tension be around how does she come to terms with getting to know a family that she hasn't known before? How does she, how do they all come to terms with the fact that this patriarch like made a big mistake and everybody in that was, everybody in the family is affected by that mistake. There are other things that I would say for this script that I would have changed. Like there are a lot of reasons for someone to be in debt that don't make him a terrible person. Right? Like it's never, by the way, it's never clear why he's in debt. It's not, the debt is not, I don't think that the debt is directly related to the, mess up with tomato bisque because he said he needs. So I think it was like an $80,000 commission from some lumber deal right. or whatever, who cares, but he needs the $80,000 to dig him out of, I think unrelated debt. And, okay. and I think that we are to infer that it is like lifestyle debt. Like, I don't think that we're supposed to be like, Oh, well he was a poor kid. No, he was not right. Like he, his dad, no, made mad, his, his dad his- made mad money. No, like, his dad, like, basically, we are to believe his dad, like, produced the Doobie Brothers and Joni Mitchell, right? <laughs> so, like... I don't think the Doobie Brothers are mentioned by name, more's the pity. <laughs> like, you know, so, and his mom has a really beautiful, like, house in the hills, basically, or, like, or the canyon. So, like, his, he was raised with money and raised with, basically, probably every material thing that a kid could want but right so so i i i infer from that that he did not go into debt to go to college so that was that was my only point that it's not like he's like oh i got you know i got accepted to crap i got accepted to like oberlin and i really want to go but my my parents can't pay for it right like it's not that situation his parents obviously if he went to college his parents obviously paid for it no that's elizabeth banks situation right is i wanted to go to school but I didn't have the money, and also I got pregnant because I was kind of a wild child. But, like, you know, that I think that would have been a really interesting tension of, like, for her to sort of confront the sliding doors 
mm. situation of her life of like, I could have had the life that you had, right? Where you had a father who was around for you and also provided for you. Had I had this access to this money while he was alive, maybe I wouldn't have to be a bartender as an alcoholic. Like, you know, maybe I could have gone to a good rehab and maybe I wouldn't have to be a bartender working double shifts while I, while my kid is at home at our apartment and I can't go to school and I, you know, he's, he is getting expelled all these kinds of things. Right. So I, so I think that would have been a really interesting thing to explore, but I, I do think you need some hook into Sam and some hook into Josh in particular, because the money is supposed to be for Josh. Right. And her whole thing is like, you know, I couldn't do it to Josh and he is a, he's a good kid and he deserves better than what I could give him. Assuming facts, not an evidence. There's ma'am. no, that's what I mean. There's no evidence that he's a good kid. I would have rather, and this is where I, what I mean about, um, Jerry Maguire, right. Is I would have rather had a kid who was like, you know, he could still get picked on, but maybe he was like really coerced into doing this like pool stunt, but he's normally an otherwise really good kid and he's really in his shell and he's really smart and he wants to be a part of the popular crowd, but he's sort of like at home, like shy and unassuming and like actually nice to his mom, right? Because... She has a conversation with Chris Pine at one point where she's like, you know, I was a wild child and then I got pregnant and this kid saved my life. And I'm like, I see no evidence of that. Yeah. I see you made no, your life. I yeah. see well, no, I think I think what she means is she stopped drinking and partying and doing drugs because she had a baby to take care of. Yeah, I I believe that too. But I also would like to see some version of you know, a relationship between them that has some amount of tenderness. Affection. Yeah. It's, it's just all, he's such a bad kid. Yeah. He's, he's really, he's, he's all sharp edges. And, you know, you could argue that that's because of, you know, his upbringing, but like, she's really trying her hardest. Most of the boys who I knew who grew up with single moms, don't treat their moms like that. Do you know no. what I mean? And I know that I'm talking about adults at this point, but like, I think that mostly, I mean, maybe I'm just talking out of my butt here, but like, it seems crazy to me that he would be so cruel to her when she's like the only thing he has in the world. Yeah. The, you know, the narrative I've heard more is that, right? That like, I grew up with a single mom. And I grew up really poor. I'm thinking of there's an author that I love who who talked about his experience growing up with his his mom. She was a single mom. And, you know, he was very attached to her. And, you know, maybe so maybe this kid like has some trouble fitting in at school and has some altercations. But when he comes home, it's a different story because he is attached to his mom. And that's why she's sort of willing to fight for him. But he is just the whole and time. And maybe the reason she takes the money is because he's begging her to be home more. Yeah. Or maybe or maybe the reason she takes the money is she can see, oh, this kid is really, really smart and he's not in the right environment. And I want to send him to this really nice private school, although $150,000 isn't going to go that far in L.A. No. But oh, I want to send him or he really wants to go to like NASA camp or he really wants to do something that I... I would have loved the opportunity to do when I was his age and I couldn't because I, 
you know, my mom didn't have any money and I don't want to perpetuate that with him. But he has to show, like, to me, the more, like, heartfelt thing is to show him having some untapped potential. But in this movie, he does not. No, no, he's a little, he's a little poop heel. He, he, sh- he, sh- he shoplifts. He is- He tries to shoplift. I mean, Sam stops him, right? Yeah. But he, he tries to shoplift. He's physically violent. He's verbally abusive. He's not a good kid. And I don't even care about the shoplifting and the violence at school. What I care about is how cruel he is to his mother who is working so hard. Yeah. And it's just like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And There's like, no- I have like full disclosure, maybe not full disclosure, partial disclosure here. Like I have a kid, my older kid can be very difficult at times and is what we euphemistically call a spirited child. <laughs> and um, is can be like very, very challenging at times. But Listeners, also... you should know that during this recording, he sent me a bunch of barfing emojis. <laughs> he can text from his iPad. I don't want to get into it. But <laughs> he can only text his Auntie B yep. and his grandparents. So like, but what always happens with it, you know, you know he and I fight a ton over a bunch of stuff and he can there certainly have been occasions where he has said things to me that i would really rather he not say but also at the end of the day he is also he's always very clear with me like that he loves me a lot and is very attached to me right like yes that you know sometimes in fact you know when he is the most upset is when he kind of breaks down to the point of like Mommy, I just love you so much. I just, you know, I just want to be around you. And that's why I'm bothering the living snot out of you. Right? <laughs> like he yeah. doesn't quite phrase it like that. But like, yeah. I understand the difficult kid to some degree. No, a kid's not this difficult, right? As in the movie. But like, yeah, I understand the difficult kid who you are going to have words with a lot and who is going to need a lot of like attention and discipline and etc. But like, I don't understand all of that without like that kernel of like mother-son attachment. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So here's an interesting question for you. Yeah. Does Sam's father leave them the money if Josh doesn't exist? Mm, no. No. So he didn't care about his daughter. He only cared about his grandson. And the reason I say that is because he didn't leave the money to her. Right. And they lived in the same city for all of their adult lives he never sought her out. He never tried to have a relationship with her later in life. And it doesn't seem... And, and like, it would have been one thing if... You know, she talks about this time... You talked about it before. She talks about this time when she's 15 and she goes to the record label where he's working and she buys this nice dress. And you can tell, like, it's a really... She's putting a lot of effort into this meeting and he completely blows her off. And so to me, this is not a, this is not a guy who um, cares about having this girl slash woman eventually in his life. Um, maybe the idea is like he has to do that in order to like have, you know, get through the day because it hurts too much. But if that were the case, I would want a note to her at the end instead of the note saying, take care of them. A note to her saying, like, I'm so sorry, I screwed up. Let me do this for you. Let me, this is, this is what I can do for you now that I'm gone. I can give you the life that I wish I could have given you, you know. Which still wouldn't be up. enough, but it would at least humanize this man who seems just like a straight up 
out and out 100% dirtbag. Right. I mean, he's a philanderer, and... That's not the reason he's a dirtbag. <laughs> I mean, it's one of the reasons. It's not a, it's not a great thing to do. But yeah, I mean, the bigger thing is just this abandonment of this child. Yes, and... the philandering pales in comparison to yeah. knowing that they're... And like the fact that when she's 15, she tries to reconnect with him and he treats her like dirt. Like, yeah. oh, sweet God. Well, and also, you know, there's there's a part of me that's like, well, you know, why not... If you have this money that you're socking away, why not set up, like, an anonymous trust for her to go to college? You know, why not... That's a good question. (laughs) Why not do the things for her that you're willing to do now for your grandson, right? Like, she and her... So she just sort of gets overshadowed by all these men and their, like, feelings, right? And their sort of, like, whole, you know... I don't think that this father... I don't think her father redeemed himself to her i think it was more about making sure that this grandson was taken care of but even that like how if he knew about the grandson like he could have been helping the whole time right right because it's because the thing about his marriage right to to michelle pfeiffer is that like you know she knew about this kid yeah i mean she i think she effectively put it out of her mind And when Sam is little, it's sort of one thing to say, you have to be here for our son. But Sam uh, sounds like he just hightailed it out when he was 18 and hasn't looked back, right? Like, Yeah, so at that point, you know, Lillian's motivations certainly are a lot more selfish, which I think are more about sustaining her marriage, maybe even sustaining her lifestyle. Yeah. You know, not... And by the way, like, why didn't the mom just sue for child support? (laughs) Like, like, there were DNA tests back then. This was not something he could have wiggled out of. You know, she absolutely, I feel like Frankie's mom could have been like, hi, so you're not coming around anymore. And I guess I can't force you to do that. But I am definitely taking you to court and forcing you to pay me child support. And he makes a lot of money. Like, they would have given her enough money that she would have had like a, I think a much easier life. Yeah, I mean, and there are so many... uh, there are so many ways in which everybody in this movie, except for Elizabeth Banks, did the wrong thing. Because Elizabeth Banks didn't know any any of this, really. But the dad certainly did the wrong thing. Lillian did the wrong thing. Sam doesn't know, and when he finds out, he does the wrong thing. I mean, he can't... <laughs> That's my other problem, is Sam is not a, not a character I root for. This is not a character I want to see succeed. Frankie is the only root forable character yes. in the entire film. Like yes. by a country mile. Yes. Yes. And the the point of view character is Sam. And yes. so who's a pretty much a dirtbag until the last 20 minutes. He's a he's a total dirtbag until the last 20 minutes. And so I think also you know, in a bid to try and, like, save this movie, I would make the kid more sympathetic. I would make the dad somehow more sympathetic, even if it's just, you know, and if you, and honestly, if you take out the, like, hour plus that Chris Pine knows about the money and knows about her his relationship to Elizabeth Banks and doesn't tell her, if you take out that tension and put in other tension, you could get flashbacks of 
their different childhoods and you could get flashbacks of what this dad was like and maybe make him a little bit more uh nuanced nuanced right because he is irredeemable and you could say the same thing about sam like you get a you get a um really uh, like quick kind of buzzword introduction to him at the beginning and he's kind of like the Richard Gere character from Pretty Woman like he's just a really <laughs> we're going to build ships together big ships yeah i mean it's just he's he has like a caricature of a salesman job and i don't know what olivia wilde sees in him he's he is never... i mean he looks like chris pine that's, that's it that's it <laughs> That's all you I mean and that's I think that's this the central thing that made me really uncomfortable aside from the dad abandoning his child. The central thing that made me really uncomfortable was the undercurrent of sexual uh tension or not even sexual tension but just leaving the door open a crack for that kind of misunderstanding in a movie where we the audience know yeah. that there's no way that's possible. But you're setting this up from Elizabeth Banks' character's perspective as if this is a potential romance. It's like a rom-com. Yeah. Right? Because Which is why I said that even though, like, I'm not into, like, people pretending to be a sexuality under other than their regular sexuality for, like, plot purposes, I would have been much more comfortable with this movie if Chris Pine had just said up front, oh, no, I'm gay. And just have, just completely take that piece off the table and then they can just proceed. If you want to have this dumb plot where he strings her along for, you know, 90 minutes, fine. But at least there's no sense that on Frankie's end, it's a developing relationship of a romantic type. Because that's what it feels like. Honestly, I mean, why yeah. not just make him, make his character gay in real life? Why do we need to have... Chris Pine's character be a straight protagonist. Okay, that's a good point. <laughs> he, there's nothing about replace Olivia Wilde with a boyfriend, and that person serves the same purpose. There's no reason that he has to be straight. Sure. No, I mean, no, there's no reason. And in fact, it could sort of add to like the whole estrangement from his dad thing. Yes. Oh my God. I love that. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't love that in real life, <laughs> but I would love that as a, like, I came out and he didn't want anything to do with me. And now you expect me to come back and forgive him while he's dying of cancer. No, thank you. That yeah. I would have understood. Right. That it's it's a got. much more sympathetic reason to stay away than like, he wasn't the best dad. And also if his dad says, no son of mine is gay and I'm going to cut you off, then maybe he does have to work his way through school. And maybe he does have debt from that that he has to wrestle with. Yes, it's a, certainly a more emotionally complex movie. But in in any case, like, just completely take the, the, like, romance angle from Frankie's POV. Just take it off the table in the very first scene between them. Because what she's experiencing, right... Like, if, if you look at it from her perspective, what she's experiencing is this incredibly hot stranger rolls into her life. This is a woman who's never had anything good happen to her. This incredibly hot stranger rolls into her life, can relate to the fact that she's a struggling uh, alcoholic, a recovering alcoholic, because he too is an alcoholic, a recovering alcoholic, because that's what he says to her. 
they go out. He's willing to do chores with her. He's willing to do chores for her. He takes his her kid out. If I'm her and this yeah. is happening to me, I'm not necessarily thinking what a great romantic prospect. I'm thinking this man is trying to gain access to my prepubescent male child. Ooh, I didn't even think of that. Oh, I 100% thought of that. I was like, oh, this is like, well, <laughs> let's let not make comparisons. But like, that would have been, if, if there's a, if there's an unreasonably hot man who is trying to chase me, the single mother of a prepubescent boy down, like, like chasing me way harder than I think is like really warranted, given how apparently uh, successful and attractive he is, then like, and, like, he's super interested in taking out my child. Like, my first thought is that mm. this man has uh, problematic, yes, designs on my child and that I need to keep him the heck away. Yeah, she doesn't react like that. I mean, I, I, I understand why that would, you know, because he literally says, like, don't tell your mom that I gave you a ride home, right? He understands that his own behavior is problematic, from an outside perspective and also quite frankly, from an inside perspective. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're Frankie, like, you know, this unreasonably attractive man is, is getting close to you doing things around the house, getting close to your kid. They go on this quote unquote family outing, which only he knows is a family outing. She thinks it's like this really nice guy is like taking my kid out and I can finally let my hair down and, my kid is opening up and maybe things are going to get better. And if I can just convince him to stick around and something's going on, but you know, I've dealt with my fair share of shady guys before and he's hotter than most. So let's see if I can make it work from her perspective. This is either what you said, which is terrifying or, or really what he has done to her is the same thing that his father did to Lillian, which is you, you humiliated her. Mm. you humiliated this woman, right? That you're supposed to care about. Now, different context, certainly, but you humiliated her. She thought that her life was going to go one way with you in it. And in reality, you told her possibly like the worst thing you could have told her at the worst possible moment to tell her, which is when she is at her most vulnerable, you know? If you have, if you, if you called her, if you, I don't know, I'm trying to think about, I could see a situation where he tries to tell her early on and chickens out and then decides he can't handle it. And then, you know, brings her to the law offices and tells her in a space that's like, you know, everybody has, there's, there are some, you know, uh, more official trappings there, Right. And she's not going to, if she wigs out, she's wigging out in somebody else's office. She's not wigging out in front of her kid. Mm. Yeah, I just, there are a lot of things I would have done. I don't know why, I think I go back to what you said. I don't know why they thought that the tension should be, does he tell her or not? Does he give her the money or not? And also, uh, I don't know why they stuck in this sort of weird opening for it to be, a romance when it's of course not a romance. I think there Did you were know that there are different ways th- to handle it. There are like actual couples out in the world who find out that they're have the same father because of sperm donors. 
There was a house episode about. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So it's a thing that it's definitely a thing that happens. But like, ideally, different movie. Ideally, not when one of them already knows. (laughs) That is a different movie. Can we stop talking about this movie? Yes! I have an email from Carson that I want to read. Yes, let's do it. She sent us, she said a few things. Uh, it was, she's like, you're back! Aww. <laughs> I've missed you guys so much, I shouted when I saw your new episode. I'd like Aww. to attribute that to quarantine, but I think it's just because I like you guys so much, which feels weird to say about true strangers. You know we what? We like you too! Uh, yes, also, like, I have podcast hosts. Like, I feel like I'm, they don't know me, but... <laughs> I'm like, oh, the, my friends? You you mean my friends? Yes. <laughs> Who I listen to for hours every week, my friends? Yes. yes. I was extra excited to see it was about the Princess Diaries as I basically grew up on that. Vaguely European royalty flavored Chris Pine is somewhat responsible for my sexual awakening. Girl. I mean. I mean. <laughs> I mean, he was a part of my sexual awakening and I was 32 when I watched this movie, so. <laughs> Uh, so she wanted to mention something about the finale, which she says, from which I have yet to recover. And I was just thinking the other day, like, do you remember how much we cried at the finale and how then the world fell apart and now it feels weird that I cried so much about a finale of a TV show? Do you think about that? I think about that. Yeah, I mean, I still, I still think about that finale and I think about, like, what a gift that show was to the conversation about, like empathy and how we all have to do better by each other and i think that i sorely miss that conversation these days i do too but it just it feels but it feels like that finale happened in almost like in another lifetime and it's like oh i it wrung all these tears out of me like so many and now it's like i I don't know if i this is gonna sound corny but like i don't know if i have those tears anymore and maybe Mm -hmm. i'm like way off base because maybe i'm completely off base because i just watched the hamilton movie the other uh, day and I was definitely crying at it. So it's not like, oh, fiction no longer has the power to move me. But like, (laughs) but it does feel like, I don't know, like real life stakes are so much higher that it's just weird to think about like completely losing my mind over a TV show. I don't know. I'll tell you something. You know, Carson says that she missed us and, uh, you know, we, we miss you guys too and uh there's a podcast that i listen to that is a dungeons and dragons podcast and the most recent episode ended with the uh, a character coming back after being rehabilitated and i uh i cried at that <laughs> okay so i think i have the opposite problem where now everything <laughs> makes me cry because my reserves are so low <laughs> okay. that every single thing that happens in my life makes me cry now okay yeah she wanted to say one thing about the finale, which is that, you know, Tahani has that peacock bow tie. Yes. So she said that uh, Michael wears that bow tie in the pilot, which is a, a, a detail that I think you and I missed. Oh, yeah. I didn't I didn't realize that. Yeah. That's which really- I thought, yeah, it's cool, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, like, of course they would have that level of detail around this show. Yes, of course. So good. Uh, She has a few suggestions. Uh, She said she would be down for Dave, which of course is an amazing, amazing movie. And she has uh, another suggestion, which is called Great News, which is two seasons. Oh, that's Tina Fey and... um... Yeah, she said it's created by someone who worked on 30 Rock. So it's in the 30 Rock community vein of comedy. So... I think Rachel uh, Dratch is in that. I like Rachel Dratch a lot. 
Me too. Except in wine country. Ugh, that friggin' movie. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you for writing, Carson. That's yes, really sweet of you. Again. Yeah, I don't. That's and that that email was from some weeks ago, but we just like our recording schedule just kind of happened to miss it as it was coming in. I don't think we know what we're gonna do next. If we're gonna stay on pine, the pineathon, or we're just gonna... start wandering the wilds of something. Who knows? We've yeah. got suggestions. We know you and I have to probably discuss those suggestions off mic. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. This movie don't was... watch this movie. Don't, don't watch it. Do it. Do don't not do watch it. it. Nope. 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 Um, nope. There's a lot better Chris Pine content out there in the world. So now, I guess to to, to wrap up, I, I I said that I think this is the worst movie we ever did, but you preferred it over defending your life and made in America, which I was shocked by. Um, preferred is a funny word. <laughs> I really did not enjoy defending your life. I enjoyed Made in America more than this because it was at least funnier, but it was so absurd. Sure. Um, but at least it kind of knew it was absurd. Yeah. As that's what you said to me and I have to agree to that. I really didn't like defending your life. That being said, this movie was, you know, I think this movie and Defending Your Life kind of have this same, like, this guy, this guy is just, I can't stand watching this main character. Oh, you know what's also similar is that the guy, the screenwriter, like, this is allegedly, like, based on his real life. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And Defending Your Life, I mean, we talked about at the time, was, like, Albert Brooks, like, wrote it and directed it and starred in it. And it was yeah. obviously meant as, like, an Albert Brooks vehicle for Albert Brooks by Albert Brooks and kind of incorporating even some of his stand-up. So it was sort of like this, you know, like a one-man show by someone who is kind of insufferable. So in that sense, you know, it kind of has a tiny bit of the same DNA. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, the the quote-unquote inspired by true events, the true event around this movie is that the screenwriter's father had a family before the screenwriter's family, before he had his this son, and he, he grew up never knowing his half-siblings, and then when he was 30 years old, he met his uh, half-sister at a party because she walked up to him and said, I'm your sister. Now... That's where the similarities end. I thought maybe his dad was like a a super cool music producer or something, but it doesn't seem like that's the case. And really, he learned the wrong lesson in order to write this movie because Chris Pine's character really could have taken a cue from this guy's real-life half-sister and just walked up to Elizabeth Banks and says, I know this is crazy, but I'm related to you, and our shared dad left you $150,000. Do you want to go get a slice of pizza and talk about it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think it, I think that's maybe where the similarity is for me between this and like defending your life. It's sort of this guy who has a like and also like the fact that this woman, you know, Meryl Streep, we all we did was talk about how luminous Meryl Streep was. Oh god. Elizabeth Banks Beautiful. is not on the level of Meryl Streep, but she is a woman who does not deserve the way she is being treated. <laughs> In this movie. Maybe we need, like, a female protagonist month or something. Well, I mean, Elizabeth Banks herself went on to be, like, a really, really um, wonderful and talented and also very well compensated director. 
So, so you, are you saying you want to watch Pitch Perfect? We could 100% watch Pitch Perfect. I'd be up for that. But there are plenty of other things, you know, we can watch too. <gasps> How about that show that we were always catching the end of? Because <laughs> it has the girl from Pitch Perfect, are Anna Camp. Ta- okay. Somebody go this, find... The fighting, the fighting Temptations. Yes, I know. <laughs> Somebody go find the episode of the podcast where I said my prediction is we will start out... <laughs> talking about the show unironically and then at some point we will actually start watching it because i said that we're not actually i know <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean we'll have to think of ian had some suggestions and somebody else wrote in uh last week with or uh, two weeks ago with some suggestions for us so like we have some things to to consider i think we have some different angles okay but until then <laughs> oh gosh Return your calls from the Federal Trade Commission? Yeah, I mean, we'll see you if you're not in white-collar prisons next time, ding-dongs. <laughs> knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. And then years later, in like- you know, it's really it's distracting to me that a, a roving band of rogues is is taking your bookshelves and just <laughs> systematically knocking all the books off each bookshelf in turn. And I really feel like, first of all, how many bookshelves do you have? And secondly, why did you let the rogues in? Well, listen, I'm I'm. DMing a a D&D, a Dungeons and Dragons campaign now, and I really felt like I needed the real-life rogue uh, point of view on things. Um, 